Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of The In Discussions, the podcast for players and DMs alike, where we cover a wide variety of topics to help you with your games. I'm your host, Ryan Reeder, and with me, as always, is my wizard buddy, Ben Bumhopper. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing, like, 99% great. The 1% is the air conditioning is blowing this little hair in front of my eye, in front of my glasses, and it's annoying me, and it's going to annoy me the entire recording. So, Ryan, as you're watching, you're going to see me just constantly go like this and move stuff out of my face. But other than that, I'm doing fantastic. How are you? (laughs) Which means that the audience should be 100% because they don't have to see our faces exactly which might be a blessing (laughs) might be a blessing i'd say it's been a a year (laughs) (laughs) i I am doing i am doing wonderfully i am excited i am ready to talk some DD tonight and we're gonna jump right in (laughs) with the dreaded or maybe not so dreaded depending on the type of player you are oh yeah shopping session oh my gosh dun 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 Yes, this is the the time where some people, their eyes light up, the world is opened up to them, and everything is the greatest that there could possibly be. And for others, it's the session that they just kind of sit there and do nothing. Yep, yep. And so we're going to try and talk just a little bit about how to run a successful shopping session. And this is this is not something where during a session they drop by a store real fast and grab a few supplies or whatever. This is the, we've just beat the big bad guy. We've just defeated the dragon. We have taken their hoard. We have taken their treasures. We now have our pockets lined with cold, hard gold, and we are ready to spend it. Point us to the nearest large city that has everything our hearts could desire exactly let us loose upon (laughs) upon whatever we can get whatever we can afford and so um usually usually as a dm you'll have a decent idea as to when this is coming up because like i said shopping sessions can't really happen without money so if you've just dropped a ton of money in your players' laps, then prep because there may be a shopping session coming the next time they get to that big city, that next big city, that big place with the store. Uh, in my world, uh, there's there's several big cities, but in in the capital city specifically, there is uh, an area called the Bazaar of the Washer, which is basically um, exotic. You can pretty much find anything your heart desires or they can get it for you legally or eh, less Under the table Under less the table. than legally yeah, yeah yeah just just shady dealings so yeah, maybe not like black market more like you know light gray market yeah yeah it's super black market there's actually <laughs> like a whole area underneath the bazaar that is literally nothing but the black market <laughs> uh but but yeah so it's it should be just for the for the dms out there it should be fairly easy to see this coming so what do you do when you know you have one of these coming up well we we call it the shopping session it doesn't necessarily have to take a whole session 
Although usually between people getting stuff and looking around and trying to figure out what they want to spend time on, there, there sometimes can be several hours invested in this. And this is something the players normally really care about, at least if they have the money to, to get stuff, because this is stuff that is augmenting their characters. Mm-hmm. And in most, many cases, making them stronger, making them better, making them more versatile. Uh, so how do, you, how do you prepare for this? Well, one, have an item list ready. You need to decide if you are truly going to offer anything or if you have a predetermined list of things that are available for sale that when your players walk into that magic shop, walk into that scroll shop, walk into that alchemist shop that you're going to say, Hey, I am shopkeeper Bertha. (laughs) And I have these 10 potions types of potions that you can buy. And then they can choose from that list. Um, If you want to literally offer anything, be prepared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's, there's a few ways to deal with that because there are some players that like to go look stuff up. And they, they'll, they'll, they'll own, they own this, all the stuff on D&D Beyond. They own all the books. They jump in. They find the table of contents. They flip to the magic items section. And then they start perusing the, oh, yes, can I have a Vorpal Sword, please? How does your character know about that? Well, it sounded really cool. There's a sign over there in the corner that says Vorpal Swords 241. Hanging hanging up right there. Uh, So um, it's it's good from a a shopping perspective to set some ground rules where you can be like, okay, guys, um, your characters would be aware of most items of rare value, right? Or most items up to very rare value or something like that. Or these shops um, in the location you're in will probably have this type of item or that type of item or this rarity of item. That can really help lay some ground rules at the beginning. Um, so things don't get too confusing. Things don't get out of hand and everyone gets a chance to kind of get what they want. Yeah, exactly. And uh, even more so, it's it's the idea of, you know, being prepared, pricing kind of correctly, and knowing um, your world and kind of how that's all going to play out. Um, you know, looking at it on kind of a grander scale, is this an area that is, you know, full of magic items? Is it a a place that doesn't have a magic shop, but, you know, you know that the capital city does over there, but they haven't made it there yet, you know? you don't want to completely, you know, hamper any sort of, of want to spend that gold because I, I mean, the economy in D&D is broken as it is. So, you know, it's having hard. Items, yeah, having hard. items for them to, to buy, to, you know, use kind of as a gold sink is important. And I'm not talking about just, oh, well, let's see, we need to, um, you know, go and, and spend an hour shopping for our rations for the next month or something along those lines, because that's no fun. Now, the fun stuff is, you know, new armor, new equipment, new magic items. So having at least something there, 
no matter where you are, is going to be beneficial for you and the players because it, it adds that level of fun. So, um, you know, if you're in a small town, maybe have a, a, a traveling salesman who has a couple things on them. You know, they might not be the best things in the world. They might be, um, you know, some fun little dinky things or, or whatever. But, you know, be prepared with something that fits with where your char- characters are actually going to be. Yeah, totally. And remember, as the DM, you essentially control the economy. You control, um, unless you're really, really into random tables. <laughs> and you, and you, it's just like, oh, crap, they just rolled the 100,000 gold chest on table D, column F. <laughs> unless unless you're, you're really into that, which some people are, in which case that's fine. It might make your job a little harder. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But otherwise, as the DM, you mostly control the economy. You mostly control how much gold your players are getting. So you can also, based on that, and based on item rarity and stuff, kind of control the types of items they can buy, which items might be too expensive, which items are within their price range. And you can kind of work with the players a little bit too, because... And some people might consider this metagaming a little bit, but in some ways, um, I've, I found that random magic item rolls can be interesting sometimes um, because they might provide your party with uh, an item that becomes super useful at some point or some crazy cool thing. But more often than not, you may get an item that no one can use or no one cares about. And so, and we, we've actually got an episode where we talked about making loot useful, making loot uh, good for people so that they, they can actually enjoy what they're getting, um, <clears throat> which is personally the side I lean on a little, a little more. So it's not necessarily a bad thing to, talk to your players or just kind of over time see the types of things your players might be interested in and then uh, potentially at some point that item may come up as available Mm -hmm. uh, in a shop or something like that Uh, and then then you'll know for sure that this player is invested in this they really want this particular item for their character or they think it'll theme well or something like that so that's that's really good to have too yeah and i mean there's also the the route that i go sometimes which is okay i i look at you know character sheets and i kind of look for maybe a need um or you know try to try to find some sort of balance between them you know it's like if you have for instance six players in your party and five of them are all you know fully attuned with three magic items but one person isn't maybe look for something that would kind of fill in gaps for that one person make sure that that's available if they choose to buy that you know because here's the thing anything that you put in a store they can just say oh no i don't want that so just be prepared for that as well you know maybe they're saving a whole ton of money just because they want to be you know, ruler of the money. I don't know, whatever. Um, (laughs) Lord of all the money. Exactly. Um, But on top of that, like, you know, having useful things, there's so many like different magic items and just stupid things that are in the game that you can just put in there that are just fun. Because you know what? If I'm out and about 
in a fantasy world doing stuff and I see a cloak of billowing, that is the coolest thing in the world to me where I can just use my, I think it's a bonus action to dramatically pose and have the wind blow through my cloak. I must Um, have it. I'll tell you right now, I am in a player who is in a very cold region, or I'm on a character who's in a very cold region, and this is the perfect item for him. This is something he would love to have to accentuate storytelling or something along those lines. And you know what? It's a magic item. It does nothing for combat, but it is stupid and fun. Um, In fact, there's you know, plenty of stuff on like the homebrew tables that you can find that again, just stupid fun stuff. Um, you can always create something that that really does nothing, you know, combat wise, but adds something and extension accentuates things for your characters. Um, in fact, the first time that, that my players went into a magic shop, our bard, you know, asked, Hey, do you have anything that would, you know, kind of help with my, my, Uh, performance and so i kind of brainstormed for a little bit and i ended up making um uh what i dubbed the ring of celebration and basically it's got i think like six charges in it and you roll on a a a one through six you know just a d6 and then whatever number comes up that's what what color streamers shoot out of the ring magically and it's just you know something that just works really well for you know a juggling act all of a sudden just to pop streamers everywhere you know, d- yeah. don't be. Well, and then you can turn stuff. Yeah, and then you can turn stuff like that into, oh, that's cool. You did that. You get advantage on your your performance check, or mm-hmm. add add an extra three to your performance check, or something. You know, something like that that you can still make these types of things not only fun but useful if the yeah. players use them in creative ways. So, and yeah. speaking of creative ways, that bard also used that ring of celebration in combat to try to blind someone once. And you know what? He failed a, a pretty decent con save and he was, you know, had disadvantage for a round. It worked. Yeah. Reward yeah. creativity. Exactly. Reward creativity. Um, so now that we've kind of talked about this, we, we mentioned a, a little bit at the beginning that, this is this is some players' favorite thing, and this is some players' worst nightmare. They just like I want to go into the shop. I want to say, "Give me my ring of defense," and be done. <laughs> I don't want to haggle. I don't want to ask about a million things. And so, be cognizant of the type of player that is at your table, so mm-hmm. that if you know there are one or more people that don't enjoy the shopping type experience that much that you can kind of uh, adapt the session or half the session or whatever uh, to meet those players needs as well. And there's always a little give and take. Like if there's people who really like it, that it needs to happen and you need to let it happen. Um, But you also can provide some things to, to break up the quote unquote monotony. Right. So um, make sure uh, you engage, engage the players, potentially engage multiple at a time while they're in a shop, whether it be through a single shopkeeper or several, several different people. So multiple people can be involved in the, in the role play at the same time. Uh, Potentially break up the shopping experience with, uh, an encounter 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a combat encounter. It can be something where all of a sudden a, uh, they're, they're in a shop, they're coming out the door and they hear, stop that thief. And then all of a sudden we've got a break. It doesn't really take away from the shopping experience necessarily. It's just a nice little break in between where the players can then choose, oh, let's go after them. Then you can turn this into a little, a little social encounter or something like that. Or potentially uh, <laughs> you could have the players buying something and someone comes in to rob the shop. Stick them up. Give me all the jewelry and no one gets hurt. Uh-oh. Hmm. There's a conundrum. And so that's, those types of things can be really great ways of mixing up the shopping session uh, to allow people that don't like that stuff as much to get a little more out of it, but still allow the people who do enjoy it to get that full experience. Yeah. And even more so, um, you know, the, the general rule for D&D is never split the party. This is one of those times where the general rule is you can totally split the party. You know, have the people who want to go shopping or who, you know, want to blow off some cash or, or you know, just visit the magic shop for fun or whatever. You can have them go and do their thing. Figure out something for the people who don't want to do that shopping, whether it's I walk in, buy my thing, and then just leave right away. Or maybe they're going to go to a gambling den. Maybe they're going to go to a pit fight. Um, Just go, you know, carousing down the street, whatever. Just make sure that if you do have those people who don't want those other things, just, you know, work around, keep jumping kind of back and forth and make sure that you you evenly split that time and uh, give everybody, you know, a chance to have their moments during a, a session like this. Um, you know, if you have someone who it, you know, is playing a character who has absolutely no, no interest in any, you know, personal gain for items or anything along those lines, or they just want to go sit in the room. Great. Give them a nice long session of them walking back to their room to just sit down and read or something, you know, just work with what you have available to you and, you know, try to just really give everybody their chance to shine. It's yeah. almost like no every one has session to be left out. Yeah. yeah, no one, no one has to be left out. You, as, as the DM, it's, I mean, you can only work so much with a with a player that isn't interested in a certain thing or whatever. But as as a DM, it's it is your job to balance things, just mm-hmm. in general, balance things and balancing time between characters so that everyone can kind of have their fun and everyone can uh, participate is one of those things. It's not always going to be a perfect balance and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a perfect balance, but you want to make sure that your whole party is at least somewhat participating every mm-hmm. session. You never want to have a session where this one person or these two people don't get to really participate at all because of, some circumstance so just kind of keep that in mind as you go yeah exactly and like overall you know uh we've spoken about it before but you know dungeons and dragons is a well any tabletop rpg is a collaborative experience so if people are just really giving you nothing to work with whatsoever in a session like this do what you can but at some point it's up to them to help to contribute to that 
Very much so. So that's the shopping session. Yeah. If you have any questions, you can hit us up on Twitter at DN Discussions or dndiscussions gmail.com. We'd yeah, love to hear any any feedback on <laughs> any feedback on your shopping sessions. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's so much more that we could talk about with those. It's just that sessions like that are very tuned to your specific group. Yes. So just again, overall, have fun with it as best you can. It's a good, that's a good rule for everything. Yeah, pretty much. Have fun with it. Um, so our second topic that we wanted to talk about tonight is um, one that, that Ben kind of wanted to bring up and I, I, I really thought it was interesting. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to let him take it, but we're going to talk a little bit about working with uncooperative dice that the old rng yep <laughs> so and, take it away and it's funny because like i didn't actually have a situation that prompted me to bring this up as a topic it's just one of those uh, instances where like playing in a game i you know was in combat and i had probably four or five rounds of horrible combat just constantly missing and missing and you know in situations like that, there's not a whole lot you can do, but it kind of got me thinking into as a DM going into, you know, non-combat situations, whether they're social or, um, you know, like dungeon crawling or just any sort of thing that has to do with, you know, where you would normally put in a dice roll. If the players roll something and it's not enough to get what you need them to, you can't just stop the story right there, make it a dead end, and then just abandon that entire thing. So I thought it'd be kind of interesting to talk about, you know, different ways to make sure that you're kind of safe against that, as well as ways where if you find yourself in that situation where you might be able to, you know, kind of work around or, you know, have different ideas of, of finding things. Um, there's, <laughs> it, it, this was a very long time ago. It was one of the first tabletop games I, I ever played in. Um, a friend of mine was running a Vampire the Masquerade game and I was a mage running around with a group of vampires. And I, I don't know how familiar you are with the, the magic rules for the world of darkness, but a lot of it has to do with like different spheres of influence and mine had to do with entropy and how you want to have things look like coincidental magic so that, you know, it's still not like creating paradoxes and it, it's, yeah, it's a you little can't, bit more complex. You can't reveal the masquerade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're all sitting like behind a car as three guys are firing Uzis at us. And then so I'm just all like, I'm going to curve the bullets so that they go right back at the guy shooting at us. He's like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. Or I said, yes. And basically that just stopped the game because he needed to the like roll a whole bunch of dice on, on paradox and try to figure out what was going on. And it definitely changed the story a little bit, but another instance where I was, you know, kind of, you know, using my magic as creatively as possible is this dude who was uh, on a motorcycle. It wouldn't start. He was trying to get away. We were supposed to capture him. He was the informant. And through magic means, I made his bike blow up underneath him, killing him instantly, which hard stopped that entire encounter. And again, at that point, the DM had to figure out a way to, you know, get us there so that we could get the information that we needed. I don't remember what that was at all. I just remember the fact that I ruined the game and I felt really bad about it. <laughs> but 
with something like D, I mean, obviously you're not going to have bullets and explosions and stuff flying around as much so because, you know, there are, well, not as loosey-goosey magic rules as that DM was playing with. But there are instances where, you know, you might be infiltrating a house into this office, trying to find uh, information to figure out this plot that's going against the, the Lord of the land. And you roll an investigation check and you get a two. Well, crap. That's the end of that right there. But there are ways around this. You know, you could have them, you know, fail at the desk. Maybe there's some papers in the trash can or maybe some uh, pieces of paper that were trying or that were going to be burnt because they were evidence. You know, as soon as that happens, you have to open up your possibilities of, okay, where else can I put this information that I wanted to, to use? It's very similar to uh, times where you go through, you make this entire dungeon. And you're like, yeah, this is going to be great. And then the party turns left instead of right. You just start planting that little bits uh, that they need to find elsewhere in, in the room, in the story or whatever. Um, another really great way to kind of combat this is to start off like very small. So you roll an investigation check, you get a four, you know, something really low. It's like, oh, you find papers on the desk. Fantastic. But if I'd rolled a 10, I would find more as well as like, say, a uh, forged seal that was used to, you know, forge some documents. I roll a 15 and then I also find a correspondence from something else or, you know, roll a 20 and hey, guess what? I find everything that's in there. You know, there's, there's different ways to keep things moving forward, but based on luck or skill or, you know, whatever modifiers they might have, you can actually reward them with more going forward as well. I, I think I think that's great, and I actually I, I have a, a few comments, kind of based on some of the stuff you're talking about. So, um, one of the things that has always I honestly do not remember where I initially heard this. It was it was from some video I was watching probably when I had started was starting to learn to DM, um, and the the phrase was don't ask for a role for something that you need to have succeed or fail. Oh yeah. Because if I need to have them find something specifically, or I need this person to miss something because of an avalanche or whatever, I shouldn't ask for a role for that because once I do, I introduce the chance that they will either succeed that or fail that. Mm-hmm. And so, and if, and it may end up going the way that just from a story perspective or just from a, um, uh, just the general area they're in or something, I need that to fail or I need that to, to succeed. Now there's usually not a ton of scenarios like this, but there are some scenarios like when, d- when the party is dealing with say maybe a powerful magic user that is so far above mm-hmm. what what they are capable of and what what their skill is um that the stuff that person does may just happen and just and sometimes you do that to show this person is super powerful exactly 
And I need to get that across from a story perspective. I don't want players to have to roll to succeed or fail against something this, this person does or to, to stop like some effect that I want this person to have necessarily because in this particular moment, I'm not trying to kill them. I'm trying to show the power of this creature or mm-hmm. something like that. So in that, in that type of situation, I would not ask for roles because I need it to go a certain way. Uh, and it's, it's always better not to cheat the dice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's one, uh, one way of looking at it. If they, if you do end up with those specific situations, um, where you need them to find something. And like, like you were saying too, uh, there, there always is other ways of doing that. Just like, oh, you, you didn't find it there, but you know, maybe it's over there or maybe it's under the rug or maybe it's behind <laughs> the portrait or something. But at the, same, at the same time too, you don't want them rolling four or five investigation checks until they just finally roll good enough yeah, to find exactly. something because then that seems really contrived at the same time too. Mm-hmm. Um, one yeah. of the things you're, you're talking about uh, when you mentioned vampire that, that kind of triggered something that was super interesting is one of the things I love about vampire, the masquerade is that it has um, qualifiers. Mm-hmm. So like sometimes you can succeed, but you can succeed at a price. Or sometimes you can fail, but it wasn't like a spectacular failure. I think um, in Star Wars, um, yeah, they have was- they have this yeah they have this that this concept too, and it's a concept that D and D doesn't really necessarily have built into it. But I love it the idea of it from a mechanical standpoint, of where you rolled low on this investigation check. You find something, but because of something stupid you did, you find the thing and it was booby-trapped. Boom, an alarm goes off. You got the information, but oh crap, the guards are coming. Consequences. Yes. And so I, I love that. I love that idea. And it's, it's something that you can easily add into a, a D&D 5E type system, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you've played some of those other games that we talked about you you kind of get and uh, you might have an idea of um what we're going for uh or you could it, there's, there's just a lot of a lot of things you can do but just take set some dcs and go okay five and under like complete and under fit 10 okay you get a, i'll give you a little something but mm-hmm. this might happen too or 15, cool, you got this. That's great. Or, holy crap, you got a 25. You get this plus this other thing that's good happens. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I, I just go back to the, you know, searching a, a room for something or whatever. It's like, you get a 25. It's like you find the papers you need, the fake seal, as well as the secret compartment on the desk that had some extra gold in it. And it's like, hey, congratulations, you're, you get a little bit extra. 
you know, who knows? Maybe no. on the way out, uh, the, the wizard accidentally tripped on a rug, which oh, revealed a trap door behind, uh, underneath it. You know, there's, there's always so many different ways that you can go. Because here's the thing, like, if you're in your own created world, whatever happens is what you say. You know, that's just as simple as that. If you're playing a module, the, that rule still exists. You might need to be a little bit more careful with how you alter things because it could have, you know, far yeah, greater consequences down the road. Yeah. <laughs> but crap, I have to redo this entire chapter now. <laughs> exactly. But that's the thing is that, you know, the players never know where something originally is or how hard it is to get or anything along those lines. It's up to you. And that bag of gold might not have existed before they made that role. And you were just like, I want to reward that because that's something that you're proficient in and you rolled really good. You found some gold. Exactly. And here's the thing is that there are so many different proficiencies and skills associated with, you know, fifth edition that you can have some really interesting, fun consequences and roles based on different scenarios. So limiting to either just success or failure. Yeah, sure. In some situations it totally works, especially if you need to, you know, um, rush through, plot or story or you know you have a sense of urgency about something but if it's something you know that you can actually kind of take the time and have some fun with you know you have this whole range and plethora of options of things that you can do yeah 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 no i totally agree i i think it's it's something i've used before and like i said it's it's something that i will continue to use because i think it makes the game more interesting when it's not just success or failure. It might be critical success, critical failure, success, but, or success and, or failure, but, or failure and. Exactly. Or, I mean, it gives you a lot more as a, it gives you a lot more creative freedom as a DM too. Yeah. But even more so too, if you do have to boil it down to success or failure, you can make those successes just really cool and matter more versus, you know, a a failure doesn't mean dead stop. I think is really the, the biggest thing that I want to come out of this discussion is that, okay, so I rolled low. That's not the end of the world. There's always a way to move forward from that. Yeah. You never, you never as a DM want to work yourself into a corner from a dice roll. You never, you never want to get into that situation because then you're, and some, some DMs can handle it better than others. If you're really good at improv, if you're really good at thinking on your feet, might not be a big deal. But there are some people that um, are running a module or some people that just don't like to improv as much. And that's fine. Those, there have been some amazing DMs who are not necessarily great improvers. They just prepare a lot. But mm-hmm. if one thing can derail your preparation or one role can derail your preparation. That's something you have to, to look at or consider as you go into the scenario. Well, Ryan, my campaign ended because unfortunately when I was playing, I didn't roll high enough on my investigation check to find the secret passage that led down a corridor to where the cultists were performing their ritual they succeeded in summoning the the destroyer god who wiped out the multiverse 
and uh, it was a pretty hard fail. Um, turns out that rolling a, a, a nine wasn't good enough, and that's the end of the campaign. It, it really stung when the DM looked at us and said, it was all your fault. <laughs> that dice got their own way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, all right. Awesome. Good chat. Uh, moving on a little bit, we actually have an email question that came in and it reads, I'm curious about your opinions as both DMs and players on third party content, like what you can find on the DMs Guild. Oh, we just talked about that recently. Yes. I'm a startup DMs Guild author and just published my first major work there. So I'd like to know what you think of incorporating unofficial character options and monsters into your games. Nathan. First of all, congratulations. Yeah, that's a that's a big thing. Taking Definitely. taking the step, uh, Ben. What do you think? How would well, how would you answer that? Here's the thing. Um, anything that I'm going to incorporate that's not official content, I'm definitely going to look at first. You know, I want to make sure that I'm familiar with it, so that one, I can answer any questions that my players might have in in regards to it. But even more so, I want to make sure that it fits in my world. You know, I don't want to have um, a, a whole bunch of characters running around with lightsabers if it's not exactly a, a world where lightsabers would make sense. Although at the same time, that'd be really cool. So maybe I might do that. But at the same point, um, it, again, since I'm running my own world, it makes sense that there would be stuff that's not official. You know, I, I've created, um, you know, some monsters. I've created some well, a ton of magic items and a, 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 like I've created a really stupid spell specifically for a really stupid magic item as a joke about uh, Lord of the Rings. You know, it's, it's stupid stuff like that. But the people who go through and they spend a whole lot of time, you know, creating subclasses or um, campaigns or magic items, anything along those lines, there's a very good chance that they've been play tested, that they've been vetted, that anything that's actually, you know, being sold on the DMs guild, it's in a state where it's great and can just be thrown right into almost any game. And I am all for that much more so than I am for just jumping onto the homebrew stuff on D and D beyond, you know, these things, these, these supplements are actually made to work with the actual, um, you know, licensed, content and anything that would just you know totally completely blow it away doesn't seem like you know it'd be very popular in the first place much less it'd work very well so like rambling aside i'm all for using this stuff you know again if it works in my world perfect do you use third-party content in your campaign or campaigns currently Currently, I haven't just because I haven't taken the time to dig in and see a lot of stuff that's out there. And I know that um, you've shared some links with different things. I've actually looked into some of the stuff, but I, right now, my world is so kind of like small. We're just a, a small region on a continent. So we haven't really needed to, to expand too much out of that yet. Cool. Um, so I, I will say... I love homebrewing stuff. If you have the time, it's so fun because it, it makes it that much more personal 
for you and for your players. So I, I love homebrewing items Definitely. and such for my players. I absolutely love it. It's one of, one of my favorite things. Um, however, monsters are another story. Homebrewing a monster is a lot more work. It's and hard. It's, it's, it's hard. It's definitely hard. Um, one of the easiest things you can do is take a current template, modify it, tweak it a little bit to, to your, your specifications. But there are times when that's not enough or potentially there are times when you're playing with a player who has the monster manual completely Mm -hmm. memorized yeah. Um, and not that that's a bad thing. That's something that you're just going to run across. And in a lot of times the, they may not even, uh, intentionally, uh, use their knowledge of the aforementioned monster to their advantage, but they may just be doing it implicitly mm-hmm. without, without even thinking about it, just knowing, Oh yeah, this, the, the holder's got, these these sort of beam attacks they've got the the cone that can stop stop magical effects so uh and not thinking my character knows nothing about this and has no idea what this even is as the player they're going okay tactically i better stay inside the cone so that they can't shoot me because i'm a fighter so Mm -hmm. this won't give me any sort of disadvantage just kind of keep in into the the eye range and so uh, there, there can be times when using third-party content can actually be super cool because it can give players, especially players like that, uh, new experiences uh, with, with things that they haven't encountered before, they haven't read about before, they have absolutely no idea what it is that they're coming up against. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's, there are several third-party publishers uh, that do monster manuals, just just straight monster manuals. There are several on the DMs Guild. There's the Monster Manual Expanded. Uh, huge, huge collection of uh, variants of monsters from the, the original Monster Manual. And so uh, that is where I like to do, and I don't do it all the time. I use, I use a lot of official monsters. I use a lot of official monsters tweaked, uh, to, to suit my needs. But when I'm looking for some new stuff or man, there's, there's just not enough demons. <laughs> the <laughs> there really models. isn't surprisingly. There really is You'd not. Think that, there that would many. be. Yeah. There, there really isn't. Uh, or something, something like that. Then I'll turn to third party and go, Ooh, this book has an extra 10 and this one looks really interesting. Maybe I'll, I'll throw that in for for this combat session or something or if i'm looking for something specific but i don't want to take the time to homebrew it i'll flip through some third-party stuff and go oh this is kind of what i was looking for this could be this could be really good so i pull that out and then and i use that so yeah there's there's a lot of really good things about third-party content and like ben said and it, it bears repeating uh a lot of the stuff on the DMs Guild, not only can you read reviews for it if it's, if it's been a reviewed product, but most of them will have gone through some sort of testing as well. So mm-hmm. you can have at least a little bit better of an idea uh, that this has been somewhat balanced 
before it was put up here and before you throw it into your game. Yeah, exactly. And here's the thing, like anything that makes the, the game, you know, more exciting or new and interesting or just overall fun for your players is really the things that everybody should be, you know, kind of pushing for, because again, this is supposed to be fun. It's all a game. And if pulling in, you know, a, a subclass that isn't official, but is just like really cool, that should be allowed. It, it, it's something that, you know, look into it, see if it's something that fits. And just overall, like, so I'm creating my own, my world. It's a homebrew world. Great. I use official stuff. I make up stuff. But here's the thing. I'm just one person. Being able to jump onto the DMs Guild or any other place that is like, you know, third-party publishing, there's tons and tons and tons of creative people out there who are, who are just making stuff, just little bits here and there. Like, my world, um, yeah, I'm using all the, the Wizards of the Coast stuff for the most part. And you know what? I'm not being strict of, okay, well, this is only Forgotten Realms or that over there is only from Curse of Strahd. You know, I, I'm pulling from everywhere and just making it a, a complex world. So why wouldn't I pull from any resource that I can to grow it and turn it into just something great? So yeah, DMs Guild, other places like that, totally incorporate them and do what you want with it. That, that's what it's there for. Yeah, totally. And uh, I, I completely agree on the, especially on the whole subclass thing. Like it's, it's fun to try something different if for some reason you can't find something that specifically suits your fancy. Mm-hmm. Because the DMs Guild, for j- just for one, has tons of subclasses and even classes, full classes mm-hmm. that aren't official, but are loads of fun. And so that's just, um, if you see something you like, talk to your DM and just know that there's the caveat of if something is super overpowered or super underpowered you just adjust as you go and then then just and make that just kind of have that understanding between each other and potentially you could do something brand new that turns out to be a lot of fun exactly cool um so thank you for the the email question remember uh shoot them over. If you have another question like that, we would love to answer it on uh, an upcoming episode. Exactly. Dndiscussions at gmail.com. So before we jump into our last bit and talk about what we've been doing in our games lately, uh, quick reminder that Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, the next official huge, really freaking huge (laughs) D&D is coming out on Tuesday. So you'll have one day, you'll, 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 you'll get reminded one day before it actually comes out uh, and check your, uh, check your friendly local game store if you have one. This is a great way to support them. Mm-hmm. And in this, this time especially, uh, they, they really appreciate that. Uh, and if you don't have one near you, uh, you can grab one on Amazon or something or on D&D Beyond. Yeah. They actually have that uh, up for pre-order now. So definitely check that out. There's a ton, a ton of stuff. So much stuff is that coming. Is, there's uh, a lot of it from Unearthed Arcana, if you've been following that, is going official. 
lots of subclasses, mm -hmm. uh, several spells, several new magic items, uh, a whole set of magic tattoos is going official finally, which is super cool. Um, there's some new, there's a few new spells. There's a, a few new items. There is group patrons, which is really cool, which is something I'm actually using in my second campaign before, like not officially, but it's essentially a shared background that all of your players can start with to just ease into that, um, just working together or having known each other or give everyone that, sh that shared link to help party cohesion, which is super mm -hmm. cool. There is new subclasses for basically everyone. Yep. They're actually throwing Artificer in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Artificer is coming in because I, I believe Artificer was just in the Eberron book, but now it's, they're, they're reprinting it and giving it, I believe, a new subclass uh, to make it more widespread uh, and tweaking it a little bit. There are some really cool Dungeon Master tools as well. Um, like the talking, puzzle section? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for that. My players, none of you read it. None <laughs> of you read it. Uh, there's stuff on hazards. There's uh, supernatural regions. There's stuff on session zero, which I'm, I'm interested to kind of read about that. And Me too. If there's a lot of the stuff or different stuff than we talked about in our session zero episode, just an episode or two ago. Uh, and then they're bringing sidekicks fully uh, into the, the main game, which yeah. is super cool. This is something they introduced with dragon of ice fire peak in that, that starter edition, which is basically a um, kind of a simplified class. You had your, your caster, you had your, uh, like rogue, and then you had your your fighter warrior, right? And so uh, this is something they're bringing in officially now. They've got a bunch of rules for it. And not only uh, are these really good if you want to give an NPC quick stats uh, that are level appropriate for what you need it for, this is also, they, they talk about using it for new players if they want something that's a little more simplified yeah these are great um they're of course not going to be quite the power or quite the utility of a full-on player character if you were building them normally but they will still be they can still level up and gain new things and and do a bunch of stuff just like any other character so if you have a game where i need to put something together quick I'll play as sidekicks. Or if you have a game where you have a super new person who's a little timid or a little uh, potentially overwhelmed by all the options, let them try a sidekick out and see how they like it. Uh, so yeah, just super, super excited to dive into this book. Same here. I mean, just looking at some of these things on the table of contents is, which we'll have a link to that in the show notes, but I mean, there's, there's some really neat stuff that I can't wait to dig into. And I'm so excited. My, my book is arriving on Tuesday. Um, but at midnight, it unlocks for me on D and D beyond. Yes. I, I, I double dipped on this one. Cause I mean, anything that has this much info, like, uh, like Xanathar's also like I, I needed them both. So I can like kind of flip through as well as have access to it and just, 
yeah oh it's gonna be great stuff i'm, I'm yeah. really looking forward to it oh totally and it, it works out well because like for me i usually get digital and and hard copy of of the main books mm-hmm. um i i don't i i'm a lot more picky on the the adventures but uh on the main books i usually will go regular and digital since i i have the subscription that allows you to then share that content with your players so mm-hmm. not everyone has to buy it which is super nice and then it allows you to integrate into the character sheets so if you're a big digital person that's definitely nice to have but yeah plus if if you're listening to this on monday you still have time to pre-order uh the digital version of it on dnd beyond which we are in no way affiliated with dnd beyond but uh you do get a really cool set of uh tasha's cauldron dice digital yeah yeah some portraits and some backgrounds few few little pre-order goodies yeah. If, if, if you needed something extra to, <laughs> to entice you. Very true. Uh, so yeah, be sure to check that out uh, if that sounds interesting to you on Tuesday. Yeah. And finally, uh, let's wrap things up with what's been going on in D&D lately. So Ben, I know that <laughs> there's, there's some crazy stuff brewing in your, your game. Oh, there is, but we're not talking about any of that yet. <laughs> this is one of those things where because i play D &D with a lot of my close friends i can't talk about it with those close friends because you know they're the ones who the stuff's going to happen to so i've been kind of talking about ryan or talking to ryan about some certain things that are on the way and um you know kind of of you know planning and getting his take on different ideas on, on on things and I am pretty excited to where it's going to go, which is going to ha- start happening next session. But. Which is soon, right? Yeah, it's, it's actually going to be Saturday. So, yeah. So, Eugen, uh, um, I know you're going to be listening to this before then. Get excited. Anyways. <laughs> um, so in, in the most recent uh, session that we did have, um, it, it's the aftermath of them getting that final orb. And, well, everybody hated traveling to the place where the orb was, so I, I totally fast-tracked their, their time out of the swamp. With how easy they, you know, kind of bypassed a lot of the, the um, combat encounters and everything getting there, I decided they would probably do the same exact thing on the way out, so I'm not going to force them into combat. So um, we kind of did a, a very quick, okay, is there anything anybody wants to talk about while they're doing these things? And... So, you know, we just kind of RP'd out what we needed to, got them out of the swamp. Um, They found their horses that they let go, which was pretty great, you know. Um, One of them didn't come back, though, but that's okay. Oh, wait, no, but then did it? I don't know. Okay, I need to remember if all three of them are back. I think (laughs) think it might be all three. Um, But... Anyways, they got their loot. They, they made it back to town. They dropped off the orb at the Temple of Bahamut. So all five of them are there, uh, you know, in various vaults in the tower. And so then the, the head of the temple, as well as the, the this NPC who runs the magic shop in the three other towns, um, they decided they took them on a little walk and introduced them to their new player house. 
So they got the reward for finishing their, their quest. Everybody, uh, uh, this is actually the first session where they were level nine. Hardy's uh, first home. Yeah. So, you know, I created this, this big villa with like eight bedrooms, a second floor. Uh, well, there's a basement which has like a lab. It actually has two dungeon cells. Um, Fancy. Yeah, there's a like a, a target for ranged attacking. There's some training dummies in there. There's a, a, a kitchen. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I put there's no the, the mundane stuff. You'll yeah, leave exactly. Toward the end. Exactly. They've got two bathrooms with you know working you know in indoor plumbing. Um, the place is totally enchanted up the up the butt, just like the uh, the halfway in is. Um, that's you know that, that's run by another adventurer who ran with this this uh, magic uh shop owner so you know everybody claimed their rooms we figured that out um we talked about things that they would like because i just kind of you know sparsely filled in with some furniture and you know on the map for them um and then so uh finn dex the leader of the temple bahamut left matilda stayed she had ordered food from the best place in town as well as some ale. And then they ended up kind of just talking, having a little like celebration for being home and, and uh, finishing their quest. And it's great because, you know, they, they opened up about certain things. They learned more about Matilda's past. Um, the, the new party member that's with them who used to adventure with her, like they learned more about him. I mean, it was a really great session. I had a ton of fun. There was a lot of RP going on. And uh, it, it, it ended in a, a very good place. Everybody kind of, you know, ended up crashing for the night in their new home. So, yeah, I'm, oh, and she stayed over too because, you know, she, she totally got wasted. She outdrank everybody because, you know, multiple hundred-year-old elf and, uh, yeah, totally drank everybody out of the table. But everybody went to bed and, like I said, yeah, overall, just it was a really good session. Uh, it was a great way to kind of blow off some steam and you know celebrate so yeah that's that's awesome that's awesome um i'm excited to hear hear what comes of that it sounds Me like too. sounds like you've got a little bit of a little bit of downtime yeah but uh yeah those are those are always good sessions yeah and what's even better too is that <laughs> and this was great it was kind of out of nowhere um our our cleric he had learned scry and uh, he also learned commune. So because, you know, level nine. So he, he cast both of those spells for the first time. And this is one of those things where I always recommend that you kind of have an idea of what's going on in the rest of the world. Even if you don't have specifics, you know, kind of where things are at. And I'm glad that I knew where things were going on because he ended up scrying on his father. And based on stuff that they learned before about how his father had actually come into power in their region, like, you know, at the head of a council, it, you know, I kind of dropped that, that little breadcrumb a few sessions back. And of course it really intrigued him. It, 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 you know, pulled the attention there. And because of that, I've been able to kind of give information about what I kind of plan on, at least I hope everybody kind of goes with it, what I'm planning for the, the second story arc. So that's there's a, there's a trade summit that's going to be happening in a place Ooh. called trade more in about three months. Exciting. Yeah. So who knows what's going to happen with that? I mean, if they completely decide not to do anything with it and they turn down the, the uh, spoiler alert to my party, the upcoming invite to go there, 
then uh, yeah, I'll figure something else out for him to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that sounds yeah. fun. Uh, my uh, first campaign group yes. finally met uh, Friday night. Friday night. This 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 past Friday night. Uh, and we we're going to have one more session for the end of the year. Uh, so this was post the massive battle where they took out uh, one of the uh, one of the two smaller sacrificial circles that were that's feeding right. the giant black orb that's floating in the air that no one still knows what it does. And uh, the contact they found led them back into the sewers uh, as they made quite the spectacular light show above the city. And uh, so they were leading some of the people they saved back to the sewers, trying to get to this basically refugee camp was in the sewers and uh, met up with uh, another cleric who is helping people out. <laughs> and uh, on their way back, they ran into a few other refugees that had caught up to them that this uh, small group of 40 or 50 people had sent out several days back. And they were just like, oh my gosh, so glad, so glad we found you. It's, it's, nightmarish out there we need to to get back to the base uh and then the cleric questioned them and said don't you like know where the base is and uh there is there's some insight checks and there is uh a few a few dealings and then the the main one who was talking his face started melting off oh jeez! <laughs> uh and so i threw some mereges at him and these these are uh, super super interesting demons because they basically kill someone eat their corpse and take on their form but over time the form decays off of them Oh, and that's so amazing it was, it was really fun fun imagery to to play around with and uh, it was basically a few of them and, and several ghouls that they, they raised from all these dead bodies in the sewers because these dead bodies have just been getting dumped in the sewers. And so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of like, uh, it's, it's super interesting because they were already kind of beat down. And Mereges are interesting because they can drain charisma. Oh. And if they drain charisma completely, you die. Oh jeez! So our barbarian ended up with like a six charisma. Uh, our our monk fighter hybrid got drained once or twice and ended up with a negative modifier <laughs> oh. as well. And so it made the fight actually a lot more tense as as different things happened. One of them actually tried to escape, ended up killing a few of the civilians to try to escape to basically report back. Yeah. And say, we found them. They're down here. And our ranger was able to kill it just before it got out of eyesight and stop that report from happening, which would have changed <laughs> a lot of things if he had gotten away. But, uh, oh man, it was, it was really good because, uh, it, it was funny because the, the monk fighter, his uh he's normally very boisterous very happy very uh upbeat and so i getting drained of his 
charisma, his sense of self, his personality Mm -hmm. uh, brought him down some. And he played it, I thought, really, really well because he was just like, I know something's wrong, but I can't put my finger on it. Yeah. So they went back to the refugee camp. There was a a little bit of lore introduced from the cleric who's from the city um, and whose parents were actually killed earlier and now finally after all this time it's tied together from this one basically uh power mad uh cleric of foltus the the head dude named father mustafas uh that he basically had ordered the cleric's parents killed because they were getting getting too close uh and so there's there's a lot of the super interesting stuff going on with that from a, from a lore standpoint. So we're, we're getting some really good stuff. And uh, one of the main enemies from back long ago, uh, uh, this necromancer, this draw necromancer, who is a direct, uh, had direct confrontation with my monk fighter guy. He's here too, helping out. Um, and helping create these, these, he helped create these sacrificial circles. And so uh, several members of my party, like three of the five right now have direct like backstory stuff going on with all the stuff that is happening right now. So that's, that's been super interesting. So now they've been in contact with the main city who's still recovering from this giant invasion trying to gear up and they're just like, we can't send a whole lot of people until you get us information. Cause yeah. we're not just going to, we're like, we're already hurting. We're not just going to send in a ton of people <laughs> without any idea what's going on. Maybe we can get a few operatives to you and stuff. So uh, we kind of ended the, the session a little bit with them beginning to form a tactical plan because they know that time is short. They know that, people are being sacrificed at an accelerated rate. Something is going on. They have an idea of who several of these big potential villain people are um, and where all this stuff is going on. So next session, it will probably turn into something uh, of a information gathering, like trying to sneak around, figure out, what's going on kind of get a lay of the land and then they're gonna in theory try and coordinate this massive attack distraction while they and potentially one or two others go in kind of spearhead this and try and take out the head so to speak that is cool while other people are free freeing prisoner camps and the the main army of Elathar is going to come in and assault the city head on. And so there's a a bunch of potential pieces that are coming into play and it's (laughs) really building up to something that uh, will probably be one of the, if not the biggest thing from a combat just slash encounter type scenario I've ever run. So that's going to, that's going to be really interesting. And we, and at the end too, we had a really cool character moment that was in some ways brought on by um, my monk fighter getting charisma drained because 
way back when in his backstory, his character has had a necrotic vulnerability mm-hmm. that he gave himself from his backstory that is tied to this drow necromancer uh, who injured him essentially and gave him this vulnerability and he's carried it throughout the entire campaign so far. Um, and so through this and through his sensei, basically his, his monk, his monk teacher that he trained under um, and a, any, and some good roles, he was able to expunge this darkness from himself. Oh, that's cool. Um, and get rid of his necrotic vulnerability in a very cool character moment and not a second too soon with what they're coming up against. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, and also uh, empower his artifact item that he, he has had that I made special for him at the beginning that has increased in power as time has gone on and, and unlocked basically another, another piece of it. So it was a very, it was a very fun, uh, very character driven session. And I'm really excited uh, that the, the tactical reconnaissance type session will be the, the last one of the year before potentially all hell breaks loose. And I actually mean <laughs> that in a, a literal sense. Well, the good news is you'll have a plenty of time to prep and figure out how hell is actually going to break loose. Yeah. Yep. Yep, it's it's going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be hopefully a lot of fun. So I'm excited. Sounds like it. <sighs> yep, We've both got big stuff, big things coming. Oh yeah, big definitely. things coming. All right, well, that is it for our show. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, we hope you glean some good information. We hope you're able to learn uh, some new stuff, but. Before we completely head out, Ben, why don't you tell everybody where they can find us? All right. Well, hey, if you have a topic that you'd like us to discuss or a big question that you want to know, you can do like Nathan did and actually send us an email. So uh, if you want to do that, send that to dndiscussions at gmail.com. On top of that, if you want to just kind of give a quick mention or maybe just a a quick question or just want to say hi, you can find us on Twitter. We are at dndiscussions. Ryan, if they're looking for you specifically, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at tbkzord. Yep, and if you're looking for me, I'm at Ben Bumhofer. Now, if this is the first episode you've ever listened to of DN Discussions, you're like, hey, that's good stuff. Well, thank you. Uh, but even more so, we have more episodes. In fact, 33 other episodes. You can check those out on dndiscussions.com as well as on Google Play or whatever that's changing to. And but you know what? Wherever you listen to this, you can find all the other ones. We'll just go simple like that. How's that? Um, much more so, though, if you want to, you know, hear us kind of, uh, you know, put our money where our mouth is, I guess. Um, you can listen to us play <laughs> on Plus Five Day Hit. It is a persistent campaign that uh, just started up uh, rhyming with the Frostmaiden. In fact, uh, episode 49 is going to be our... our second first or second session something like that 50s coming soon um we've been playing and boy howdy do i have a lot of fun with that group and uh with the character that i have super great group super great characters like if you're if you're wanting to to listen to a an actual play type campaign this is a great time to get in because we're only uh, i think episode two is coming out monday 
I believe. Soon. I, I don't know. Two. All I yeah. know is that we played and I had fun. Yep. <laughs> so. It's it's been a lot of fun. So I'm very excited to to progress through that one. Everyone seems to be having a super fun time. Exactly. Um, but uh, other than that, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of D Discussions, Ryan. It's been a pleasure as always. And uh, everybody, until next time, we'll see you later. And don't forget, be good to each other. Take care. <laughs>